Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. Uh, we made it to the end of the week. Crazy news continues in the eye of the storm. <laughs> My Lord. Uh, but we've got an awesome show for you today. We'll go a little off duty and we'll talk about Obi-Wan part four. Uh Really great, great uh, series that I'm enjoying immensely with my three daughters. And we have more news coming out of Disney, coincidentally. We do. We're going to go super deep. Again, we want to reiterate, this is a Friday show. We are ignoring the rest of the world. And we are going to talk about Disney Plus streaming numbers and how Indian cricket might be the key to global streaming domination. And this is the break you need. Trust me. And then uh, finally, we have another great edition of OK Boomer from producer Rachel. Going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Intercom. If you're an early stage, high growth startup, you can get access to Intercom's Early Stage Academy today at a 95% discount. Join the program today at intercom.com slash early dash stage or email them at startups at intercom.io. Gun.io, the simplest way for anyone to hire world-class developers, expertly vetted for you by senior engineers. Get $250 off your first hire at gun.io slash twist. And Embroker. Embroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. All right, everybody, it is Friday. Usually we do this week in streaming on Thursdays, but we got so busy this week. Um, but we're just super happy to have our pal Lon Harris with us. He's a writer at Screen Junkies and he does uh, the Inside Streaming newsletter and also communitynowinside.com slash streaming. Uh, he's the podcast host of Binge Boys. Welcome back to is. the program, Lon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get right to it. Kind of nice to do this on a Friday. Yeah, exactly. Let's do, yeah. No mess let's around. Right Obi-Wan. It. Obi-Wan Kenobi, part four. Right into it. Yeah. Go. Right into it. <laughs> uh, so directed by Deborah Chow. The whole show. The whole, the whole show, show is Deborah Chow. Deborah Chow. And now, uh, and written by Joby Harold and Hannah Friedman. What do we take from, you know, this group of people so far on the show, Lon? Because- I'm enjoying it immensely. I don't know what the feedback has been out there from Star Wars fans, new and old, but this I mean, to me has been absolutely delightful. Star Wars fans, new and old, can't can't agree on much. So it's a very a very divisive show out there in in the world so far. Uh, a lot of people really enjoying it. A lot of people enjoying the 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 Leia Obi Wan connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it's sort of like. Uh, I think there are a lot of people at this point now who grew up with the prequels. They're, they're, you know, a generation behind me. Yes. Uh, and they, you know, they were, those were their Star Wars movies when they were kids. And so going back, being nostalgic about the prequels, fleshing out those storylines, that's very satisfying for a lot of Star Wars fans. But of course, there's, there's a lot of haters too who think it looks cheap and it's unsatisfying, especially last week's lightsaber battle had a lot of critics who felt like it was insufficiently epic scale and cinematic uh so you know there's there's always that sort of push and pull within the star wars community my god people well i mean there's a lot of people who just like the fan base yeah there's a lot of people who just they want that they want the action they want show me the Mm. characters i love being the ultimate badasses so you had that 
that moment from Mandalorian where Luke is just wrecking house and killing all the droids. And like, there are a lot of Star Wars fans where whenever it's not that, they're disappointed. They're like, why isn't Obi-Wan out there using the force, just destroying everybody in his path? Because he's been in the desert alone, hiding, not using his force powers. It's damaged. And after getting his ass handed to him by the most badass Darth Vader we ever saw in episode three, he is now coming back to form of course. they actually anticipated it, and there was a lot of action in this one from obi-wan himself mm-hmm. the lightsaber comes out he's using the force there's this great scene when he's on uh, on his way to the inquisitor's castle where you can see he's like testing his force powers and of course you know a- as the action starts to unfold you start to realize he's figuring out the force again right uh which i thought beat up. was a great arc Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you remember too in in Last Jedi, that's part of Luke's arc that he shut himself off from the Force and then has to like reestablish that connection. And I think yes. you know we're we're getting a mirror of that with Obi Wan's story this time. All right, yeah. so take us through the overview of the story, Molly, and, and then we'll get Lon's comments here. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah, Turn spoiler this alert. off if you have not watched Episode Four. Just fast forward through it yet. Just yeah. skip it. All right, so yeah. Obi-Wan, we see him in the Bacta tank, which is getting a lot of usage uh, per mm, from wow. Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. Boba yep. Fett. So we've yeah. all also like just- Eleven on this season of Stranger Things, spending a lot of time in her own version of a Bacta tank. It's becoming yeah. a real oh, a bunch man. of season four of Stranger Things says Eleven has to go into an isolation chamber where she oh. has her own memories about her past. When are we going to have a no Bacta tank? I mean, this is going to become Good a We Live know. in the Future segment here, right? I know. You know, well, a yeah. Bacta tank is coming to the real world. I keep thinking that too. Continue. So he's in the Bacta tank, and it's it almost fe- and so is Darth Vader in his own Bacta tank, and it almost feels like they're psychically communing a little bit. He's like reliving the Bacta battles uh and then appears to all of a sudden realize leia is not there she has in fact been taken captive and is being interrogated by reva for details on this kind of jedi underground the path um which i thought i gotta say for as much as i have not seen as much as i wanted from reva the character or the actress that was a great scene it was so tense it was so lovely she's so small leia's so tiny anyway (laughs) Obi-Wan convinces Tala to infiltrate the Inquisitor's palace on the Mm -hmm. ocean moon Nur in the Mustafar system. During the break-in, he discovers this unbelievably morbid uh, situation, a vault full of preserved Jedi that the Empire has apparently captured and killed, including, like, a kid. You know, Mm. a little one. Um, Obi-Wan uses his lightsaber, uses the Force for real. He's, like, fighting off the bullets with the lightsaber. Uh, Tala and Obi-Wan free Leia, but Tala's cover is blown. Veda gets furious because they get away, almost yep. kills Reva, and then she reveals that she attached a tracker to Leia's droid, Lola. Classic, great, action-filled, you know, Star great. Wars episode where you have to go rescue somebody. This happens in almost every Star Wars. You gotta do a rescue mission. And this one was incredibly satisfying to me. And I'll just tell you, like, watching Obi-Wan, go from being uh you know completely unable to use his lightsaber properly to all of a sudden you saw the obi-wan lightsaber form coming back with the spinning and how he was holding it and how effortlessly he started um deflecting blasters Mm -hmm. and at one point he defects deflects a blaster uh shot to then lock a door you know that's like a classic clone wars level jedi move yep and the Jedi in the Clone Wars are peak Jedi. They're going super fast. In the main, you know, New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi, 
These are old Jedi going really slow. So what we're seeing is Obi-Wan getting back his speed and he's got to face peak Darth Vader. So this to me was incredibly satisfying, especially when the uh, glass in this, you know, underwater building starts cracking. He's able to hold back, not only hold back, this is all very subtle force stuff, but he's not only holding back one window. I don't know if you notice this, Lon, but then when the stormtroopers come in, he's defending with the other hand his lightsaber. And then he decides, I'll just use the force to break all the windows on. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he is back, I mm-hmm. think, to close to full strength here. If he can do that with the force. Did you notice that detail, Lon? I did. They they have to get him back to close to full strength because there is a cartoon series set after this called Rebels. Yes. And they have established Obi-Wan and that is still a badass version yes. of Obi-Wan. So we have yeah. to kind of bridge that gap and get him back to his. There's a lot of Easter egg stuff in this episode, by the way, just yes, generally. We'll go through that. Yes. Uh, a lot of shout outs to uh, the game Fallen Order. I don't know if you guys ever played Jedi yes, Fallen Order. That, but I, yeah. Yeah, I saw a whole thing that was like, this is this, a shot for shot. This, this whole water Order. moon, Noor, that moon that they're on is a key location from the game. So putting right. that in there explicitly is definitely meant to to let you know that that's all can- canonical. What you were saying, Jason, I think about the mirrors of A New Hope specifically, I think were definitely yes. on their minds. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obviously we're recreating a whole bit from A New Hope where they have to go rescue Princess Leia in the Imperial, you know, like they got to invade the base or whatever. Yes. There's even a, a moment where uh, Obi-Wan takes out a stormtrooper and I thought, is he going to put on that yes. was the Luke move from, you know, right. like I where they dress too, up yeah. like Aren't stormtroopers. Sure for a stormtrooper. Right. I kind of thought short. they were going to have that moment, but then they, yeah. they, he, well, he keeps his robes on. They also have, in terms of the parallelism here, um, and, and good shout out there, Molly, with the, you know, Darth Vader and Obi-Wan both going through this parallel experience of healing their wounds. Um, there's the uh, parallel experience with Princess Leia. Uh, in A New Hope, having a probe droid come to torture her. Yeah. In this case, Reva decides, well, you know what? I'm going to put you in a chair, kind of similar to the Emperor Shri- Empire Strikes Back when they tortured Han Solo, and I'm going to torture you, and I'm going to try to read your mind. Now, I don't know if people caught this, but Darth Vader was not able to read Princess Leia's mind in A New Hope, right? He, mm-hmm. he got very frustrated by this, like, inability to crack Princess Leia. Because Princess Leia all this time was a, a force user, but her power seems to be in her brain, her charisma, her ability to interact with people as a senator. Reva has the ability to read minds. Remember she did it to, what's the actor's name from, I think, from Silicon Valley? Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. So she, he tried, she, he, she very easily read his mind, no problem. She's right. been reading everyone's mind. She couldn't read a eight-year-old Princess Leia's mind? That's because, I, my theory, Princess Leia, Princess Leia is so strong in her brain with the force that she unknowingly she doesn't know she has the force but she can just block people from another jedi or another force sensitive creature an inquisitor from reading her mind am i correct yes and that's what was happening i think think that's the i think that's the implication they've been really setting up this idea that the young leia she doesn't have what we would think of as traditional force she's not flipping around and grabbing things with her with her mind but she's yes she's got these and, and just the ability to read people to it's yes. not it goes beyond being precocious to right. she always knows what everybody what's going on with everybody she even before they're soul. they're talking yeah. to her right uh, if anything that scene actually freaked me out a little bit because I was having all those same thoughts I was like she's not reading her mind she's not reading her mind because Leia is in fact strong in the force with this sort of like psychic yeah vibe and ability and then I was like is Reva I 
I don't know if it's a little bit of a miss on the show's part that Reva doesn't immediately go like, hey, you seem kind of force sensitive. Mm. Or if she does, but Leia doesn't know she's force sensitive. But I did think about that too. How come nobody can sense Leia is strong in the force? Yeah. Or are they just not even considering it? I mean, if they're like rooting out people, you know, there's that kind of throwaway line too. They're rooting out, they're finding anybody who's force sensitive. I I, I Mm. mean, I'm not disagreeing with the point you're making, but there is, there is, I think, this idea that. Even the Jedi, even people who've been around a lot of Force users, this is a rare thing. Like, the idea that you could be very powerful with the Force, but it doesn't demonstrate itself Mm. like it does with Grogu, where you could just, like, throw things around, where it's this more intuitive... I think people, they're not looking out for it, because even the Jedi don't ever put this together. Leia grows up and is an adult, and they've never been like, hey, you have the Force, you should train or something. Like, nobody ever says that to her. It's kind of a loss. She doesn't ever get to access that because they're not on the lookout for it. I think it might be part of the thematic idea of, like, the Jedi aren't necessarily as great as we thought. They have a lot of internal biases and prejudices that keep them from really seeing the whole truth. You might not realize it, but you've probably used Intercom before. You know when you visit a website and that little chat bubble pops up? And they help you with any question you have? Well, that's Intercom. I literally used it this weekend. It's the best way to connect with your customers. Intercom's platform helps you engage and support your users through personalized chat-like experiences. And over 25,000 companies use it every single day. I kid you not. Because they want to foster their relationship with customers. They want to covet those customers. And those customers have great things to say. In fact, here's a testimonial from Twitter. It's almost like all websites I visit with that intercom chat button, I instantly associate them with great customer service, just like intercom intended. So if you're an early stage high growth startup, you can get access to intercom's early stage academy today at a 95% discount. Join the program today at intercom.com slash early dash stage or email them. That's how cool they are at intercom. They'll just, they'll just email them startups at intercom.io how easy is that by the way you can register for intercom's next customer experience for growth webinar on may 18th by clicking on the link in our youtube description or the episode page great job intercom here's a question for you these jedi who were down in the catacombs i'll call them the catacombs underwater uh areas they're not in carbonite they're in what looks like ember of some type it's yeah some sort of preserving formaldehyde type fluid are they dead right. or are they preserved because I, mean, I didn't see blasters i didn't I see arms theory. chopped off i mean and then you, why are they here i think they're there because they're going to try to connect this to snow palpatine yeah, and like no, you got it getting or grogu <laughs> or pulling the force and doing biological ex- clone experiments on them this is like camino uh, yeah. remember camino I where think, they made the clone that's, troopers that's exactly what they did i mean when we know dave filoni who did mandalorian yes. and clone wars this is what he does he loves to go into these movies and then find the little connections and threads between them and then like uh, that's where i'm gonna live i'm gonna expand mm-hmm. on this and make these connections yes. stronger between these threads that are already in the movie so i think that's clearly what they're doing is they're taking that throwaway line in rise of skywalker Dark science, cloning, secrets mm. only the Sith knew. You know, Dominic Monaghan from Lord of the Rings yeah. says that. Uh, and I think they started in in Mandalorian a little bit where you've got who's that scientist who's working with Grogu. We need yeah. his blood. We're developing. We don't know what he was working on. Now they're preserving all these Jedi. I think it's obvious they're trying to 
figure out the secret of midichlorians, mm-hmm. the secret of how to replicate force powerful users down the road. And it is all going to culminate in, well, this is how they cloned Palpatine. This is how they made snow. So does this mean, Molly, what are the chances that the emperor shows up in Obi-Wan episode six? What are the chances the emperor shows up, Molly? That I, would is be like trying not to give it away. He's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> that, I don't think the emperor think no? in this one down the road, maybe. I don't, okay, I think so they too- save him. Well, he, I mean, at this, at this moment, he's, he's just the, the big man in charge. He's running the galaxy. Yeah. So I, I don't really know. I mean, I so guess you could, if it's just at to this like. Point, at this point, do we know how much the emperor is aware? I mean, the emperor saved Anakin and turned he him into Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah. He's an apprentice. Right. Yeah. And we've had enough little, I don't, I mean, I would say that that's a 50, 50. Like I wouldn't, I'm not giving that one a hard no. I think like. You might want to save it, but at the same time, there's definitely going to be an Obi Wan too. So why not save it, right? Yeah, they, yes, they love, but they why love these would the Emperor be very, very interested in Obi Wan Kenobi? He's driving this. Yeah, he would be super interested in this. I think they they love these. They they love treating these shows as like little hubs. They're storytelling mm-hmm. hubs, and it's like well, you know, like introduce a lot of threads that we can ping off of that. So I think I don't think the dark science cloning we've got these jedi in jars i don't know if that's going to come up in obi-wan necessarily that might be a thread they're laying out there and then yes and or or in another show or in next year we'll pick that thread up like i don't even necessarily know if they know what the plan is they're just like tease this stuff out over time that are like um they're like landmines. These are plot mm-hmm. threads that are just planted like landmines. Sure. You could step on them in the future. And that's how, Isn't I it? mean, we're seeing, you know, sort of Kevin Feige would be like the mastermind. Like he's the guy that started doing this at Marvel and has sort of taught everybody how to do it. But now everybody, every franchise is doing that. And we saw uh, Ghostbusters just the other day. Hardly the thing you'd think of as a lore heavy franchise. But Jason Reitman just announced they're doing the next one. And it picks up right from the end of Afterlife where they're driving the Ecto-1 back into new york so every every franchise now is thinking about this like how do mm. we tell a story but also drip enough secret stuff in there that we can pick up in the next story because right. there will never be original ip again there will only no, we're ever done. be we're we're, yeah. we're tired sequels. of it i have we're another done. hot take but molly you have any hot takes no uh, i will say okay. an easter egg department though i really did like the moment where they're in the kind of the path underground and he refers to like every kid out there moving a rock with his yeah. mind or whatever. Like, there were just, like, nice... Mm. I feel like the thing that's so satisfying about Obi-Wan, probably for people our age, is that it's just, like, this is the... This is the Star Wars we grew up with a little bit. Yeah. And it... That's just really... It's nice. I'm like, I feel like I know this. I get this. Well, and this is what could have happened with the sequels. I know I don't want to get in there. But this is bridging the prequels and the main what do you call the non-sequel prequels you call it the original trilogy the original, the original trilogy the original yeah. trilogy. there's the prequels the original trilogy and then the sequel trilogy okay. is so the ot is being bridged perfectly to the prequels right now yes. i feel because you yes. get a little leia you get a little luke you got owen you got obi-wan you got darth vader it's just bridging it perfectly um just like rogue one did and so that connective tissue feels really good as you were mm-hmm. saying Lon. Here's, Lon, any other hot takes for you before I give my 
Oh, I'm just excited. I mean, I think this is really setting up Andor in a way. I, mm. I was not, I like Rogue One, but I was not super pumped for Andor just because like Diego Luna as Cassie and Andor, not, not a character that stood out to me. But yeah. the idea of now this, because that's going to be a 24 episode show. They're really devoting what? some time. Yeah, two 12 episode Andor seasons. And it really is less the Cassie and Andor show and more the birth of the Rebel Alliance show. Wow. We even saw in the trailer, you had a little bit of young Mon Mothma. So um, the idea is there's all these cells. There's all these, like the path is a great example of a rebellious cell, but it's not a Rebel Alliance. It's just one group of people doing one thing. Yes. And so Andor is really going to be this journey from all these little pockets of rebellion all over the galaxy to a unified Rebel Alliance on Yavin 4 with a base where we meet them in A New Hope. Hiring software engineers can take a really long time, don't I know it? Sometimes it takes months, but Gun.io is going to change that for you right now. They're a developer hiring platform. They're super focused, and here's what makes them different. Their candidates are expertly vetted, and then they're matched to your company by a team of senior engineers, not by an algorithm or just a recruiter. Gun.io developers have eight plus years of experience building products, and they're comfortable working directly with founders and executive teams. They're going to get you candidates as quickly as 48 hours. Think about that. And the average time to hire is only two weeks. 90% of the candidates are US-based, and they have a network of vetted international candidates as well, if you're looking to hire from other markets, there are two ways you can use Gun.io. Number one, you could work with a freelancer and enjoy Gun.io's ongoing support services. They'll handle the billing and swap out talent for free at any time. Or you can hire a remote developer directly from the Gun.io network for half the typical recruiter's fee. So here's your call to action. Gun.io is the easiest way for startups to find and hire world-class developers. And you're going to get $250 off your first hire at gun.io slash TWIST. Well, yeah, I mean, and so, yeah, That's I wonder if cool. they'll have really Whitaker in Andor, right? Well, Saw Gerrera, we know from the cartoons, Saw is, is very active in that world yes. at this time. So presumably awesome. there would be right. room for that, yeah. Here's my hot take. Mm -hmm. I, uh, this Darth Vader uh, and this uh, episode, uh, combined with the previous one, to me is very um i think aware of the fact that the middle episode of the original trilogy the empire strikes back is every fan's favorite because it's the most dark it was done by that french director it had so much gravitas in it right luke loses a hand he finds out darth vader is his dad han solo gets tortured he's in carbonite he's been sold but i mean it's just dark all over the place right in this episode my daughters who are loving this threw the covers over their head jumped on me my two six-year-olds daddy protect us i don't want to watch it mm -hmm. and i said what well, and it was during the uh princess leia potential torture scene sure and i yeah, said she's not going to get tortured it's going to be okay i guarantee you but they were really scared and then that scene where they escape and all of a sudden darth vader comes charging Mm -hmm. Like he's walking in mm -hmm. a very angry, fast pace. Everybody on the couch jump. <laughs> and then he comes in and he's got Reva and he's about to snap her neck and he's choking her out. And he's just toying with her like a, you know, a fish like that. He's about mm -hmm. to cut up for sushi. And you're just like, my Lord, 
they're really leaning into how sadistic and insane Darth Vader is and how terrifying he is. Mm -hmm. Just that marching where they have the close-up of his head. I'm curious if that's Hayden Christensen in in there. We know that's him in the the back to tank. I don't know if it's him in the actual Vader costume. He got to be the guy in the back to tank. Yeah, he got to put that. They definitely put all the scars on Well, this is is, the thing that's a little. I mean, Star Wars has always been dark and it's not. But it's like a little, you know, I mean, when you think about that, just like the sheer number of lives lost. Yeah. It, it's like two extinction Alderaan. level events, right? An oh, entire yeah. freaking planet yeah. and the Death Star, which yeah. presumably has hundreds of thousands of people on it, if yeah. not more. Like, it's a messed up yeah. pre- series of premises. Yeah. <laughs> but like, war, yeah. They really bring it home when they are about to legit torture a 10 year old girl. Yeah, crazy. Who, by the uh, way, is this tiny? Like her little freaking hand in Obi-Wan. I can't get over how small this human is, even as a small, child. Yeah. They're she's like, so here small. are two like giant baby needles. Hand. She's here's also, two giant needles we're going to stick into her eyes. Yeah. It's like, what oh my God, my daughter's. I have six year olds. They were a yeah, little that's scared by it. Um, all right. But see, what they should have done, though, this is what everybody's confused about. We all thought there would be flashbacks of Hayden K- Christensen as. Uh, Anakin Skywalker and Obi Wan. There has been no flashback, Lon. No, we saw there was that one. Wars. We saw that one shot of like Obi Wan was imagining what he would look like in the present day, and so there was like he he saw a vision of Anakin staring at him in the desert. I think in, in the episode desert. one or two. Uh, and that's it. So, that's so far the only shot we've got clearly of Hayden Christensen's face. So mm-hmm. wait a second. That means they're saving because yeah, they course. have not used him yet. James Earl Jones' voice. You were just asking if that's him in the suit. It's not. There's another person playing the oh, suit. There's character. a guy in the suit. Yeah. Yeah. So where's what is the point of having Hayden Christensen here just to be like in a bunch of FX makeup in the back to tank? No. I have here's to my feel prediction. like there's something around. in episode six. Yeah. Episode five, I oh. think, or six, is going to be a flashback to the Clone Wars, and it's going to be the moments at which uh, Obi Wan and Anakin. Uh, were really at their peak friendship. And then they're going to show uh, Anakin kill the uh, Padawan. This is my theory. So Anakin is coming back for two purposes. Some crazy flashback of the Clone Wars where they're like really bonding and or they're going to show him kill those younglings. You know the scene where they're like, oh, Master Skywalker, what should sure, we do? Yeah. There's a little quick shot of it in Revenge of the Sith. Very quick shot of Revenge of the Sith. We don't hang out for much. We yeah. don't hang out. It's just like he just opens his lightsaber. I think they're going to show him, because they showed a little bit of Order 66 yeah. in the first right. one. I think presumably they're going to show the was, actual slaughter. Presumably that's a Reva flashback, that she yeah. was yes. there, and that's why she feels so betrayed by the by mm. the Jedi. I, I mean, I it's certainly, listen, and anything is possible. It's all on the table. And, with their love of this de-aging technology, mm. it would be pretty straightforward. They could very easily yeah, very make true. a scene where we it looks like it's old Hayden and they have their faces in and the they're computer. Not that old. I mean, we're well, talking about old, 20 but years. You would, but you could easily, like, they already have a computer looks a look of what young yeah. Obi-Wan looks like. They made three movies with young Obi-Wan. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's it's doable technically. My only thought is I feel like they're... They've established this in in Last Jedi. They established what you know, like Force Skype that mm. Adam Adam Driver and uh, Daisy right. Ridley can sort of communicate through Force. the Force as if they were. It's basically Force Skype. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
And I'd be like, that gives us a way that in their respective back to tanks or whatever, Obi-Wan and, and Anakin could mm. meet in the ethereal, in the ancestral plane from Black Panther or and whatever. Be, yeah, yeah. And they can have a conversation as themselves. And I feel like that's why you'd introduce that shot of Hayden present day in his robes. Like what yes. would Anakin Skywalker look like today? Interesting. Because that's the Anakin Skywalker we will see in Iraq. And I, I like thematically, I think that's kind of neat too, that like, because we know from the very end of this story, Return of the Jedi, that their Anakin Skywalker is still in there. He's not totally gone. Oh, big time. And so the idea that he could summon this version of himself and project it through the force, like, this is the part of me that is still Anakin Skywalker. I think thematically, there's something really Molly, promising the, there, too. Hmm. Molly, the promise of the show was that we would see an Anakin and Darth Vader, uh, Anakin, Darth Vader slash Obi-Wan lightsaber battle. We did. We did. But it wasn't that good. So my it's question the to the rest of the class, two questions here. Will we see, was that the penultimate for this series? And will we see the ultimate lightsaber battle now that Obi-Wan has his force powers mm -hmm. back in? And what will happen in that? And then two, he was supposed to commune with Qui-Gon Jinn. It hasn't happened yet. Will he commune with his original master, Qui-Gon Jinn? He, he tried to, yeah, but he went for Skype. Nobody picked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So two questions. Answer. Will we see another one? Who, who wins? Boop, boop, what happens? Boop, boop. Yeah, it's just making that sound. I do think so. I think like it's a, you know, it's almost a little bit clunky and on the nose that what we're seeing is he is evolving back into his powers. He's under, yep. he's starting to, I think, see, I think the point of the path is, again, a very literal metaphor for like, this is the path that Obi-Wan is on. He's never going to come out. He's a Jedi for life. Like the Jedi will continue and have to continue. And I think the point at which he, it's like any coming of age movie or something, the point at which he gets it, it, clarity hmm. where he is actualized back into his, his old self and the self that he can then be right as a future leader of not just Luke Skywalker, but maybe even more Jedi, um, I think is definitely the point where we will see the, the Skype call get picked up. <laughs> Do I think there's going to be another lightsaber battle? Yeah, right? Because okay. they sort of have to get to know each other well enough for us to see the eventual battle where he kills Vader. Like, it's just this kind of, they understand each other. And nobody dies in that battle. So what happens in that battle? I guess yeah, I don't know. the like question, Lon? A little more damage to Darth. But can I go back to one oh, other I, thing? Well, no, you just had it, Molly. A little more damage to Darth Vader. Yeah. I think they haven't explained all the scars on Darth Vader when we take the helmet off in Return of the Jedi. You know how there's a big, deep scar on his head? Yeah. I'm going to make another Look crazy. Right right here, Look yeah. at you. You've just been like waiting for me to get yeah. there. He's like, come on. I was waiting for you to get there. You got there. And he hits him in the head. Here's what I think happens. I think Reva dies during this. I think it becomes like a three or four person battle where uh, Obi-Wan or, or, or Darth Vader kills Reva. I mean, who knows? They, they both hate her. Um, and then somehow Obi-Wan bests Darth Vader. Darth Vader's besting him the whole time. And he cracks his, you know, beautiful helmet, which is perfect at this point, and puts that scar on his head that eventually Luke Skywalker sees. And that's how that scar, because that scar is not coming up in the back of the tank. I looked for it. Yeah. He's got that, that it's almost like an indent in his. An in indent his, in his head. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, look at this. Oh. Here it is. Oh, there, there it is. is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. That's it. 
Yeah. That's going to be, this Nick, is if I was writing it. Bless him. Did he just go and I don't know what's going on with the scar on his face, but Amazing. I think that top one is going to be an Obi-Wan. The, the Obi -Wan scar, the, the, scar the face could be the, the fires of Mustafar. I think sure. that, that could be explained. It's just sure. burn. Yeah. But the, you're right that the we don't see a pronounced wound on the top of his scalp, which could definitely nope. come up. But I think you're definitely right about yeah. uh, that this is going to be a not just not just Obi-Wan versus Vader. Reva's got to be in the mix. And if if the history of, you know, Freddy versus Jason, Godzilla versus Kong movies teaches us anything, it's that uh, these two warriors are going to end up as allies. Uh, and I think Obi-Wan and Reva do have a common enemy. If, if, if our guess oh. is correct and Reva is upset about Order 66, the Jedi being wiped out well... So back to my She's double angry agent at the same person as Obi-Wan. Maybe she doesn't realize everything that happened yet. And this is the point I was about to make about Reva, actually, which is oh, that I think go. some really interesting therapy occurred when Reva was questioning, you know, just like Black Widow does it when they question her, she's questioning them. So Reva is questioning Leah, Leia, but the whole time she is dropping these giant, I mean, almost like. And like, please ask me about why I'm so screwed up. I, right? had, a, keeps I saying, had a droid once. Yeah. I had a droid once, but they I took it like they too. took everything, a.k.a. the Jedi who make you leave yeah. your family, right? Like Obi-Wan yes. referred to that. They will abandon you. These are the people who will abandon you. Like, she clearly believes that the Jedi left her to die when Order 66 was given, yeah. which is like, because there's still so much raw pain there that she keeps telegraph. I like was literally waiting for Leia to stop being interrogated and be like, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Tell who me left more. you? Yeah. Tell me more. Like, yeah. just I can it. put some tea on. I can exactly can celebrate let's the just, moments of our let's lives. Just get a blankie. Like, uh, you got wait a second. To say. Now, Lon, I'm but liking that's this how theory. They get her is they convince yeah. her that no, it was all mm -hmm. along the Empire that betrayed her and not yeah. the Jedi. And she's so isolated in the Empire. I mean, we've seen yes. Fifth Brother, uh, you know, from from uh, Fast and Furious, Sun Kang. There, he also is an, an, an enemy of hers. Uh, yeah, you no, guys got that right. That that's Han from Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, we got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I feel like she doesn't have any 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 allies in this entire what show. If, yeah, okay. And Which I think Nick sets it correct. up to, for her to become Obi-Wan's ally in the end. Yeah, producers think Fifth, fifth Brother is a dork. He right, is here's my theory. Well, I, I, love, that hat. I love that, that actor, hat. but come on. The hat's terrible. The hat's ridiculous. You'd be ridiculous. so... The spinning and the spinning... In that hat. The, it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I get what they're doing. They're going for that Japanese thing and, you know, the homage thing to Kurosawa, but it's just not... Well, they're, they are also tied... The, the, the Inquisitors were introduced in previous cartoons, so they've yes. got a look that they've got to kind of... Thank God model. none of them... None of the spinning lightsabers are helping them fly. In the cartoons, they can put their spinning lightsaber up, yeah. and it will help them fly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, or like levitate a little bit. It was kind of ridiculous. I'm going to quickly explain one crucial type of insurance that all startups need. It's DNO insurance. You've heard of this before. You might not know what it is. This is directors and officers insurance, and it helps if somebody does something dumb and you get sued. I don't know how to tell you more plainly, or maybe you didn't do something dumb and some dumb person decides to sue you for a dumb reason. I have seen this. I've seen all flavors of it. 
you need to have DNO. It's just part of growing up as a startup. And if you don't have business insurance, well, you're going to have failed one of the first steps of being a founder. The best place to look for it is in broker and brokers technology is going to save you time. It's going to save you money. Prices are up to 20% lower and you get better coverage than the incumbents. You can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. When you work with in broker instead of all those slow incumbents, you're not dealing with those giant lumbering large companies. Sign up takes days, not weeks. And the process is transparent. There is no opaque pricing. So to instantly buy custom built insurance for startups, go to inbroker.com slash twist. While you're there, you're going to get an extra 10% off by using the code twist. Easy to remember this week in startups, T-W-I-S-T. Go to inbroker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist and use that offer code, T-W-I-S-T. Um, here's a theory. Okay, there's a battle going on. Obi-Wan's being bested. and then he convinces Reva to flip somehow, just like uh, Darth Vader flipped against the Emperor. So they mirror that. Remember that mm. moment where Darth Vader then, you know, uh, yep. Luke Skywalker's getting the lightning, Turns and then Darth him. Vader picks up the Emperor, throws him down. Yeah. Yep. What if that's happening? Obi-Wan is getting essentially the lightning, but he's getting hammered by Darth Vader. He says to Reva, I can sense the good in you, and Reva's the one who smashes Obi-Wan over the head and creates that scar, and then Darth, Darth Vader. Vader kills her. Mm -hmm. While he's killing her, Obi Wan is able to escape. Scene. Yeah, I mean, I think I it's going to be it's going to be something oof, along along. That's a great show. I, I cannot wait I to watch that episode. It, it, yeah, I think we're 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 getting we're circling it. Whatever. We're it circling is. what's going to yeah. happen here. What a mm -hmm. great series. It's Some people great. didn't like a couple it. of scenes. What broke, if anything, the episode for you? Any moments that broke the episode? I, I mean, I don't think there was a moment that broke the episode. I think that there are, we're starting to see, you know, the, these shows are made with this really revolutionary technology where it's like these LED green screens and they're shooting it. And I think that obviously it gives them incredible choices in post and all, all of the, they can put the actors anywhere, drop them in and it looks good. And they're, they're in all these different environments. But I, I do think sometimes it can be, it could, there must be some kind of limitation because it does feel claustrophobic sometimes the way that the show is shot there hmm. it feels like they are yeah real-time virtual production as they say in the chat room that's what they're that's what they call it and i think it must limit what you could do with lighting where you could place the camera and it, it gives them fewer options because there are occasional times where the editing will be a little clunky a sequence will be put together in a way that's not totally clear where everybody is there are some odd visual choices and i don't think it's just bad directing or whatever i think that it's probably coming from in some way the limitations of shooting in this production environment that mm. then gives you so many options once the once it's in the computer mm. and you're just dropping things in still looks beautiful to me molly anything that stood out to you that broke you out of the suspension of disbelief and or that you found just ridiculous in the show because that's what the, there's a lot of fans like really nitpicking on this yeah uh I mean, any nitpicking stuff you probably I mean, heard some of them you know? I, I don't care at all although i did definitely laugh out loud when obi-wan was hiding leia under his coat <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah that I was laughed. a little ridiculous i was like yeah i'm buying that like everybody yeah. else is so buttoned up and tight like those uniforms yeah. are just like you know they I mean? don't but get away with it i don't they really get care caught. they don't I'll get away you, with it i'll tell you a thing that really bumped screen junkies fans that they didn't like was indira varma as tala she talks her way into the imperial. That was what base. I was about to say. She's like, 
who are you? I who am your you? superior like, officer. You don't know who I am, and I'm going to talk to your grand yeah, inquisitor that, about I this. Love that because I love that, though, because that is such, like, imperial culture. Imperial culture right. is all about bullying someone else okay fair and, and also being like i'm gonna rat you out to darth yeah, vader like I, i'm like that's her happened 10 times in every single star wars movie ever i love yes. that i was like that's on brand you and i okay. are on the same page Molly. that's exactly what i said yesterday was it's a critique of the way it, the empire rules through fear it's yeah. all a hierarchy it's all dog eat dog rat out your co-worker right. and you move up you know Admiral Moti gets choked and now you're the admirable and you're yep. the admiral. And this is the downside of that is that, well, everybody's at each other's yeah. throats and you can manipulate people. Th- it's really a toxic culture. Let's face it. It's a very toxic workplace. It's very toxic workplace with a lot and of trauma. Only, and then the only other one for me I already mentioned, which is that I was like, okay, Reva, we get it. We get, well, okay, okay. You're upset. Okay. Peanut. Do you want to sit down? You want to talk? Yeah. You want to She definitely needs some therapy. She needs some therapy. She needs to do some some, some serious ketamine therapy or also, something. I just couldn't trauma. get heartbroken about Wade. I mean, we saw Wade for like 33 seconds. R.I.P. Wade. R.I.P. Wade. Wade. I like I any guy like, in the Star Wars universe who has an Earth name. I always like the, when there's like a, a Wade and a Sully in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm happy, Gary. They, the other one was um, the woman who is part of the path uh, that we just talked about. I forgot her name. Tala. 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 I love that. Indira, Tala. Indira Varma's character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones I'm just uh, so glad she did not get killed. Um, like, I just keep waiting for her to get killed. And every time oh, she does, I'm so she's, happy because I gonna love be, her. She's dead by the end of the series. No way she's making it out. Uh, well, she's every not episode it to, that she doesn't You think she's die. making it to Andor? Is she I'm in happy. Andor? Well, we I'm just that? saying, you got, you, uh, I'm not saying uh, specifically about this character, but you do need to leave some of these people alive if you're going to do the Rebel Alliance coming together show. Maybe she makes it to Andor. Somebody. Okay, but did you notice that when the stormtroopers are taking her after Reva says, like, you know, take her away and mm-hmm. the stormtroopers are there? I thought her interaction with Reva was actually pretty good when she's like, I'm a liar. That was a great no, of course scene. I'm a spy. It was yeah. like a, that was another empire great kind scene. of scene. Yeah. But when the two stormtroopers take her away, and you, you'll definitely find this image on the internet, she smacks one of the stormtroopers and then she grabs the other one by his helmet, which I love, and like pulls the helmet up or down and kind of just slaps her yeah, you know like with, yeah. a, with a blank <laughs> slap <laughs> well to be fair stormtroopers are like legendarily wimpy like they always go down with one shot somebody's I know gonna that find they're this a image. terrifying she force in the universe smacked a stormtrooper she will smith him she will smith she will smith him took That's him by exactly surprise yeah. <laughs> all right i what like the grab series. of the helmet though i thought that was like a nice action movie touch like you just yeah, grab him like, and it's like she- a Maybe she punched Yanking him in the his throat. chain with it. Like I've oh never, that's watch never happened in Star Wars. You grab the bottom of the helmet and just yank him yeah, and smack him. It's Brad. It was a good whack. I mean, one of the producers is probably going to find this because I'm sure there's a bunch of Star Wars nerds who have screen grabbed this and have like an 18 slap, you know, debate going on here of stormtroopers being slapped in history. <laughs> All right, let's move on. There was some other stuff that happened in streaming news. Uh, by the way, our, uh, we're going to finish this one, and we're going to also start, talk about maybe next week Star Trek's episodes three, four, five, six, or some number of them. I'm up to episode four. I'm strange new world. Strange new world. Strange new world. Strange new world is. I'm at episode four. I love it. Uh, I mean, they're really doing a great job. Each I like that there are each one's an encapsulated story, but there are yeah. some themes going across them. It's so true to Star Trek. It's so true. Yeah, it feels, Star Trek. It feels very much like a like a Star Trek series again. After all the like attempts to sort of meld Star Trek and peak TV, 
They're right. back to just let's just do a Star Trek show. They just you can watch these episodes out of order and be equally happy. Each one yeah. is like a standalone sci-fi adventure with its own little ideas and plot, and then you yes. move on. It's perfect. Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. What I so we'll talk more should. about that next week. But today, as long as we have Lon, we want to talk yeah. about a little bit of a business story and how sure. Disney uh, Disney seems to be turning into its own version of the empire <laughs> like i'm just imagining everybody at disney being the kind of people who walk around and like do you know i'm sorry do you know who I, I will rat you straight out yeah straight out so disney has fired peter rice who was chairman of disney's general entertainment content basically the head of the tv division um he will be replaced by dana walden who spent 25 years at 21st century fox previously reported to rice so basically she cut his head off and took his job uh just sticking with the theme here according to deadline this was reportedly out of the blue and was a shock to Rice Walden and their team members. And this is the even spicier part via deadline. The speculation is that Rice was fired for quote, being high in the rumor mill as a potential replacement for Disney CEO, Bob Chapek, whose rocky go of things since succeeding Bob Iger has left questions of whether he would be re-upped with a contract next February. Did they just kill the competition? How empire is this? Yeah, it's a it's a crazy story. I mean, basically, Rice, uh, Rice and uh, Walden both came over to Disney from Fox, but they've been like a unit that whole time. And he's been Rice is the guy that everything TV comes through. So if you're working on a Hulu show, you're working on an ABC show, you're working on a Disney Plus show, doesn't matter. FX, John Langreth at FX comes through him. Everybody comes through him. So to get rid of that guy and not have a plan in place with all the teams, it's a pretty big move i mean it's a it's a huge transition moment to make without any warning at all or preparation for it you would you would think there would be some kind of cause. hearing that it was without cause and it was just like well that guy's coming for my job is like very I mean, unexpected is that where we are now with the bob Iger is like what have i done you're right i should have stayed on no wonder i meddled for so many years yeah hmm. this is big news uh, i mean what... it's a, yeah it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty wild story it's it, it, it's just you know, like you would, uh, this kind of thing happens where there's a personality clash or it's a bad cultural fit or whatever. And somebody wants to leave, but they always, it's like you give the person a few months to like find their next gig mm -hmm. and like prep the teams behind the scenes for the transition. They get a production deal for two years. Right. It's like, yeah, like exactly. some sort of golden parachute on the way out, some golden yeah, parade makes it feel, out the door. It, it makes it feel super personal to have it just be like one day it drops with no explanation. And then I think the other thing is it makes, they had to purposefully go out of their way to be like, it's not misconduct. Like in 2022, if you are a powerful man right. and you get fired suddenly, yeah, unexpectedly, is. they have to then come in. So it, it does add this sort of like, it feels weirdly personal, like to not give him a soft landing and to just make it like one I day. I want to know what gone. that Bill it's Murray thing is about. I saw harsh. that go by where Bill yeah. Murray made a joke that, because I saw he kind of made a... Uh, it's apology hard. for it yeah it's it's hard to know exactly what went down but yeah there was a so full the, investigation and then they shut the movie down so it must have been it must have right. been serious big Oof. enough for them to shut the movie down also yes. aziz ansari was directing who's had his own background with with semi-cancellation and me too so he might have been an extra sensitive to it but it's he hard was, to know that whole thing he was it's mostly um, blown over it was it was a that, without getting too deeply into it a woman wrote a blog a woman wrote a blog post accusing him of, of going on a very bad date with her in which he sort of pressured her, but it wasn't an accusation of anything we would consider. It wasn't like a Me Too day with his criminal or, no. you know. Like it was just like, he's like a, it was a bad date. Predatory jerk. 
kind of. Mm, well, more like casting him as a predatory. Is how she wrote it. Yeah, yeah, that's how she wrote it. Exactly. There was also. I'm trying to find that other story about Bob Chapek because remember there was some. So the board, we should say, he abruptly fires this guy. It's you know, sources inside are like, we can't believe this happened. Apparently, took seven minutes to boot him. Yeah, and I mean, in Hollywood, this guy was a very well-established, respected. Yeah, but there was something else recently. We also did another story about Disney and Bob Chapek that made it seem like he is really prickly. Was mm. it like he was a micromanager? The board expressed their support for him after this firing. But mm. I feel like there was some other story, maybe the notice or producers can help, not that long ago, mm. that really made it sound like he, like I was, I remember reading it and being like, it sounds like that guy is kind of not a great manager. Mm. Following yeah, he, on Bob well, Iger, he consolidated who was so great. the, uh, uh, the way that Iger set up the structure of Disney, he like consolidated everything. Uh, he consolidated everything under right. under his power. Then reported to someone named Kareem. I think is the next his like number two guy below him. And right. then also him and Iger like haven't spoke. Like they're like not on speaking terms. And yeah. Apparently he's and that was like because really, like Iger was like said he was going to help him through the transition. Yeah. He sounds yeah, like Iger. You know Iger's very yeah. good with the press, right? So he gave all these quotes to the press. Like, listen, if Bob ever needs help, I'm here. You know, I, mm. you know, whatever. I'm on his side. Mm-hmm. And Chapek took that as like, don't you ever talk about Disney behind my back? Like I'm yeah. the CEO now. Is what it seemed like the press was playing it up as because he's a little bit more prick. He's pricklier than Iger. Yeah. Like and then that that story also noted like Iger. Ha- just he was known for his unbelievable relationships with all their top tier talent. And like, as soon as Chapa goes in, like they get in a lawsuit with Scarlett Johansson and everyone's like, Oh my God, dude, what are you yeah. doing? Like literally six months after he took over, they're like in a lawsuit with one of their biggest. All right, let's move on to the Disney prickly plus He's problem. He's problem. Disney plus got stalled at some point or maybe wasn't uh, growing as fast. Well, it's, it's, they've, they've set this very ambitious goal. I think it's 240 to 260 million global subscribers. And to hit that number, they basically, they're, a lot of it's going to depend on India. I think India is about 30% of their global subscriber base right now. Okay. Because it's a huge country, a lot of streaming. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of Mm -hmm. them have streaming devices. Uh, so. The Indian market, super, super vital for Disney moving forward. They have to really be expanding there if they're going to hit these global goals. And we've seen with Netflix what happens, even if you have a pretty decent explanation for why you didn't hit your global goal, doesn't matter. Wall Street, very unforgiving if you don't hit that goal. Uh, and and what is coming up, Disney inherited with 20, 21st Century Fox's assets when they, act, when they acquired Fox, they acquired the rights to the Indian Premier League cricket matches for five mm. years. That was 2017. So this is this is the last year. So mm. now there is a bidding war for the rights to these Indian cricket matches, which in this country does not seem like, oh, it's make or break if you get the rights to stream cricket. But in India, very, Huge. very popular sport. So if they don't, and there are lots of other bidders up against Disney Viacom has an interest there locally. I think Amazon is also in the mix. Companies with deep pockets who could theoretically compete with them on this. Uh, and if they lose Indian Premier League cricket this year, that's going to cause a loss of a lot of subscribers in India just at the time they need to be really adding all of those subscribers. So in this weird way, a lot of Disney's future global streaming plans now comes down to Mm. Indian Premier League cricket, cricket. which is not cricket. not a, prof- a high profile sport in the U.S. Really, the starting price for these rights is evidently four point four billion dollars. Some estimates have the wow. ultimate sale price at over six 
billion dollars. Apparently, some Wall Street analysts are actually hoping Disney opts out of overpaying for these Indian cricket rights because it's so much. But at the same time, Disney will not, it sounds like, will not hit those audience goals. Without. Yeah. And I mean, this is what's fascinating to me is because mm. a lot of those investors are pointing out, too, that the average Indian subscriber to Disney Plus is worth a lot less than, and I don't mean as what a, is it, like a know, dollar I mean, a month or two dollars right. a month. It's just their like, subscription yeah. fee is a lot lower. Yeah. So you earn it's, more from a European or an American subscriber. Course, yeah, more, so yeah. focusing so much energy. I, I thought about this, too. Uh Netflix canceled that Babysitter's Club show, and it was a big mm -hmm. talked about thing because it was very critically acclaimed and popular in the U.S. And the showrunner came out and said, it has nothing to do with that. They're trying to grow in India and Southeast mm -hmm. Asia and Africa and the Middle East and all these emerging markets where people have never heard of the Babysitter's Club. It's not an IP that has value there. So I think that that's another thing that we're looking at is like, it's not just making content that the whole world is going to like. It's like, where do you fo where is the most value? Do you do you worry about scraping that last fifty thousand American subscribers you could maybe attract, or do you worry about the four hundred thousand people you haven't reached yet in Malaysia? You know, like it's these very What's complicated. I mean, we're already seeing it in movies somehow, sometimes like the overt love letters to China that are built into oh, every big gosh. action movie right now. Like, Did you what's guys it see gonna, Moonfall? What's it that one had a crazy like one. Moonfall, that's absurd. Like, it's Moonfall absurd. has a whole au pair character just who's a, Chinese and she's teaching her, she's just, her young charge Mandarin throughout the movie. It's just, just for China. Just, just a love so letter. there could be some Chinese so like, in the movie. What's it going to feel CCP like? fan service. What's it going to feel like <laughs> for CCP us here in the United yeah. States when we are no longer the entertainment center of the universe? We will no longer be the sun. No, we will be. We just we just have to sell our souls when we go to China. <laughs> uh, seventy six <laughs> a month is the uh, average revenue per user from Disney Hotstar. Not Waystar. Seventy six cents. Seventy six cents. Seventy six cents per month. Yeah, it's like Waystar. Hot stock. It's a little hey bit oh. like Waystar. Yeah, Waystar Royco. When's that coming back? Lon, when's that coming back? I believe oh, it's next year. We need that. I think Succession oh, in 2023. Or I listened to his autobiography. It was great. Pull, putting a rabbit into oh, the Brian hat. Cox. Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Listen so to good. Brian Cox's autobiography. Putting a rabbit, putting the rabbit into the hat. Um, it's just like the background on how he got where he is. And it's like all about theater in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s in England. And it's just madness and his own personal story and his like deranged mom and craziness. It's pretty amazing. But back of the envelope um, on subscriber growth to hit this 260 million global subscribers or more conservatively 230. Disney wants to hit the more conservative goal by the end of 2024. They have 10 quarters left to do so. Uh, since they just reported the fiscal Q2 of 2022 this year, they would have to grow paid subs by 67% over 10 quarters. Seems possible. Or an average uh, compound average growth rate of 5.26 per quarter. Also seems somewhat reasonable. More aggressive goal, they got to hit like 6.5%. So it's possible. They grew their paid uh, subs by 6% quarter over quarter in the most recent earnings from 129.8 million to 137.7. And if you're management there, the thing about live sports is like, that's a must have for people, you know, that's why people overpay for it. So if you lost money on it, let's say you actually lost money. on it. How many of the people then you're doing a calculation, how many people unsubscribe, you know, take the time to do it, uh, or not captivated by the other parts of the offering. And that's yeah. why people will overpay for this stuff. I don't know if you saw. Uh, 
the golf stuff. It's a whole other story. Oh, yeah. Dude, well, I've, I've been following this one, too. The, the LIV golf. Like, uh, is there a streaming angle here? Because I have been wanting to ask somebody about this golf thing. I, yes. You know, I just watch the things. You know, <laughs> I've been very critical of the kingdom. But yeah, so they're going to. No, we're coming. I believe we're coming up on. There's going to be another one of these huge auctions for the LIV golf uh, streaming. I think that's coming up in a few weeks. Yeah. So they, they're going to do a, a bunch of golf folks just took the bag. They were like, here's took a huge bag. bag. We're going to spend $2 billion. They said Tiger Woods had a high nine-figure deal and passed on it. That's, I mean, the other folks seem to have gotten $50, $100 million. We should say the reason that he passed on, the reason this has been so controversial is that it's all funded by the Saudi investment fund. And so there have (laughs) been a number. In fact, I think it's Phil Mickelson who took the bag, but only after he had to apologize for basically saying like these Saudis are crazy mother effers who chop up people and put them in uh bags and but you don't want to not do business with them right so those comments leak he has to apologize then he's like no i love this the the liv tournament i'm playing and then the pga tour is kicking out all the golfers who signed up to be on the liv tour pretty amazing when you think about it as a negotiating strategy you're like let me say the worst possible thing about saudi we know they're trying to sports wash i think they call it sports washing like green washing we know they want a sports wash so if phil mick is is a phil mickelson who said this stuff if Phil says this stuff, and they are in fact trying to sports wash, if they get him to flip, he was the biggest critic. If you flip the biggest critic, you succeeded in washing. So this could have yeah. been the ultimate um, negging of the Saudis to secure the bag oh on God. a so, negotiating basis. You think he, like Tala, was pretending to be a double agent? Yeah. There you go. Exactly. You know. Good, good, good callback. It's so anyway. I mean, this thing is crazy because. They're going to pay like five times or 10 times the amount that, you know, you make in the PGA and they're giving these, um, you know, people who are, you know, like these are not the top golfers currently. These are kind of like getting all stars at the end of the career. It'd be like signing LeBron James at 37 or something, right? right? Can still play basketball, but, you know, he's no... It's up and coming people who would otherwise, according to producer Nick points out, otherwise would have to pay. They have to pay for their travel in the PGA. So if you're not making those big purses Mm -hmm. and you have to pay to go to every PGA tournament and then here the Saudis Mm -hmm. come and they're like, we'll fly you to this party, probably first class. We we almost certainly will not chop you up. Like, let's go. Let's party. Yeah, (laughs) Nobody's getting chopped up. Yeah. No, they're on the payroll. Uh, Just don't be (laughs) critical anymore. And it's ending. My understanding is it's ending at Trump's Florida golf course, Dorado. Sure, of course. So, so of course, course you know, Jared Kushner's uh, $2 billion Saudi venture firm with the most ridiculous pitches. I mean, the Saudis are good at this. Um, sometimes you get like, sometimes you really just get the peak all the way behind the curtain, right? Like sometimes yeah. the corruption does not even bother with the thinnest of face masks. Nope. And you're just like, yeah, I give up. The, the press conference was next level. Did you guys see the press conference clips? No, I missed that one. Oh, God. You just have to type in like live press, live golf. <laughs> press uh, they're they're going to stream it on YouTube to start. The first, the first one of these yeah. invitationals is just going to be for free on YouTube and Facebook. This oh, English good. guy is like, so, um, is. Uh, Phil Mickelson, uh, is, is there any place you wouldn't uh, consider uh, getting paid to golf? Uh, for example, like, would you golf for Putin in Russia? Uh, <laughs> and uh, given that you've made uh, $76 million in your career, um, is this incremental uh, amount of money uh, worth it worth to sell your soul? Uh, your comment, piece. please, Mr. Yeah. Mickelson. I mean, they literally, the press laid into these guys and then the guy was See, like i love the international media our media is oh, not doing that our media is great. just like how are you feeling so about your stroke 
Well, then this other person was like, uh, he's like, well, you know, listen, I made the best decision for my family and I, you know, PGA, I don't have guaranteed earnings and I don't get to see my family. In this case, I get to see my family. So, you know, I did what was best for me and my family. Some PR person was like, just keep talking about your family. And, yeah. you know, like people <laughs> yeah, would be like, it's... you did the right thing for your family. It doesn't matter who you're in business with. Uh, also announcing the new anchor of the Launch Fund 4, the Saudi Investment Trust. Yeah. will be angry at us. <laughs> yeah, <and> right. <laughs> oh, no. Which right is after a $500 this. million dollar fund. Just here we go. <laughs> Welcome yes, our next guest. $500 million dollar fund. MBS comes with the new launch here. jet. Take so, the mask off. Just take it out. Just, yeah. And we just, you know, Peel listen. it off. Listen, Look at I'm that critical shiny of the Saudis, but everybody's got a price. Mine happens to be a PJ and buying the Knicks. So, welcome to the Saudi Investment Fund for joining yeah. Launch Fund 4. It's not happening, but best get the it's Knicks pretty out funny. Oh, yeah, my God. How come nobody's trying to pay me off? I've been yeah, super critical. Time. Stay tuned. Mohammed bin Salman critical. coming up right in this spot next. <laughs> Stay tuned in the next hour. Oh, my God. Uh, Dustin Johnson's initial LIV contract will exceed Tiger Woods' career earnings on mm. the PGA Tour. Bad courtesy of Charlie Cuddy. I mean, my God. My God. PGA is very established. If you want to take them out, you oh got to come big. Imagine they did this with you know? NBA players. What if they did this with the NBA and they came up with the Live Basketball like Association? Yeah. And they just put up $10 billion. Oh, my God. I mean, if it works. Who could they get? Who could they get? Who like if they went to somebody and said, "Listen, LeBron, you're making Wait. 40. Well, LeBron's already a billionaire, but you know, yeah. take Carmelo Anthony or I think you, you go know, take right. Russell you go Westbrook. The, you yeah. go to the second tier. You go sure. to the guys who are yeah. well established, but not the superstars. Nobody and then you is. Try to, nobody you try is giving, to get them away. Well, nobody's giving Westbrook another contract. He's making 44 million this year, and nobody's uh, giving James Harden one or whatever uh, because of, you know injuries, whatever. So, what if they gave those folks like? hundred million dollar a year like basically what the salary cap is here in the united states for why the are you giving team? them these ideas why? yeah don't stop <laughs> oh my he's god like, they look, he's got sweep. his excited face on too he's just like i'm iterating on this genius startup idea I'm making <laughs> no, it even I'm just, better it's a hot take but it's it's a dark take it's like it's a dark time. you need to find like a chill matter nation with a huge sovereign wealth fund and then we need to go to business Norway. with them Putin. Yeah, does norway sure. have a big sovereign wealth norway fund? has a they huge do, sovereign yeah. wealth fund the largest in the world it's the largest in the world Oh, yeah. But Norway, it does, it turns if they rip out, the oil out of the ground. Yeah. Big time. It's all from oil and a uh, big time we weapons exporter, Norway. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't think. Yeah. You wouldn't think. Business is big. I mean, there's a lot of countries that need to defend themselves suddenly. There's a, there's a lot of danger in the world, Molly. Fair it's enough. a dangerous world out there. It'd be a shame <laughs> if something happened. out there at full strength right now. Yeah. It'd be a shame <laughs> if something happened to your little country there close to the big countries. <laughs> Uh, all right, listen, thanks for joining oh, us, Lon. Yeah. You're always amazing. As always, everybody follow at Lon's, and uh, we'll see you and next time. And get to watching Star Trek. Yeah, next week. Next week. Star Trek, yeah. All right. And bye -bye. episode five. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, see you guys. Thanks to Lon, as always, and let's uh, bring on Rachel for OK Boomer. All right, everybody, it is Friday, and we have, I mean, legitimately, I know we say this every week, everybody's favorite segment, but it is. We got OK Boomer this week with Capri Wheaton, or is it uh, like the fancy island Capri? No, you got it. It was Capri. It's Capri. It was Capri. Yeah, you got it. All right, uh, Rachel. I don't. The hair looks great today. <laughs> Thank hair you. Looks I fantastic. Feel, I uh, had to open up my window because I don't have AC yet. So you guys are seeing a lot, of, a lot of light coming in right we now. Got like the Beyonce breeze for those watching. Right. Okay, but this is off topic. Uh, Capri Wheaton, a UC Berkeley dropout, love building dressed a peer-to-peer -peer rental marketplace like Airbnb for clothes. Tell me more because you know how I love my rent the runway. 
I freaking love this idea. I actually saw it on Twitter and I didn't realize that she was the founder, but she was tweeting about this company dress that she founded. And it kind of reminded me of you actually, Molly, where you're obviously a huge fan of Rent the Runway. For Rent the Runway, for me, it doesn't really make too much sense. It's really expensive. I'm not going anywhere really fancy, but it would be nice to be able to rent clothes for things like formals, Mm. for concerts and things like that. And that's the problem that Dressed is solving and it's peer-to-peer. So I recently just put up a dress that I wore to my sister's graduation. Obviously, we work from home, so I'm not wearing dresses too often. And I'm excited to see who's going to rent out my dress. Um, The shipping is all included in it as well. So it takes away that little issue. But they're currently, I believe, in beta right now. So how much are you renting your dress for? I bought it for 60 and I'm renting it out for, I believe, like $15. And the reason Uh, I'm going so low is the shipping I saw was also $15. You're going up to 30 at that point, but that's still like 50% off the dress. So I thought uh, Hmm. thought that was a good idea. But it's kind of like Turo. Like you could buy. Exactly. Exactly. You could buy Turo just for this purpose, which Mm -hmm. apparently people do in Miami all the time. I learned when I was in Miami, they buy like. Uh, yeah, they buy like the, the G wagon Mercedes just so they can rent it to people who are coming to town and want to look cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. What? Oh, so like the Toro is the peer to peer is peer to peer car sharing around and stuff like that. Right. But you, but it's individual cars and this is like that for clothes. I love this. So that means if you were to rent this dress five times, you would have made money. Yes, exactly. And ladies, how long would a $60 dress last before you probably would be a little worn out? Can you get 10, 20? My big thing isn't it getting worn out. It's me not wearing it enough. So my big problem is I still have my prom dresses and things. My sister Mm -hmm. just graduated high school. And unfortunately, she's not the same size as me. And I saved Mm -hmm. all those prom dresses for six years now. They're Mm -hmm. really expensive. And I'm really short, really small. So if somebody else can get another wear out of them, that's awesome. But it's not necessarily something that I'm ready to Poshmark out yet. Like, I don't want to I don't want to sell it. Like, I still want to keep it. But um, it's it's really silly to have something that's that expensive that's not getting worn year round. Yeah, it's great for the environment too. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because you know, yeah. here's the thing: you you would think the shipping would cost money, but the shipping routes are already set. So yeah. and those trucks are not at a hundred percent capacity. So it's one of the things I learned about shipping is like the Amazon truck, the UPS truck that's coming through your neighborhood anyway, whether they drop something off at you or not. So it's a uh, wow, what a great idea! And it's peer to peer, so. Uh, they just take a percentage. They take 10, 20% of whatever you get. Yes, exactly. So it's very similar mm-hmm. to Poshmark, Rent the Runway, how they mm-hmm. go. That's how they make money. Like I said still in beta, but you can definitely check it out. Um, the bare bones of the product is live right now. Mm-hmm. And Capri and I got to talk a lot too about how her startup was impacted by their TikTok presence. And the reason that ah. it's out in super bare bones right now is because they kept promoting it, kept marketing it. And finally, people were really like, when are you coming out with this? Like, we're, uh, we're ready for it to come out. So that's why it's really bare bones oh, right good now. good strategy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, super good. So we were able to talk about that strategy. You know what you well. should do if TikTok you're going to make a business hit. out of this is if you did the full outfit where you said, hey, here are the sunglasses, the dress, the shoes, yep. and the accessories, I'm yes. going to make a full outfit. And instead of charging you 15, I'm going to charge you 75, but you get the full outfit. So um, she is doing that. Soon for festival outfits, yeah. So you can yeah, do the that's whole what I'm thinking. Coachella, right? Yeah, Holy exactly. That's amazing. Exactly. Oh my god, you could eventually Brilliant. create a tier where you were like you had power users who just had mm. great style, like Depop. And, you know, like yeah. on Depop, you actually have like mm. people that you follow quite specifically, yes. and you have people with great style to dress you. <gasps> yeah, that's exactly what she said. We talked about the power user, uh, power users on Depop, and how they'll be able to do that. Um, yeah. But big fan, excited to see to see what comes of it. I love this. Up next. Can't wait. Boomer. Let's go.
Thanks, guys. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Capri, for joining me on a segment of Okay, Boomer. Capri Wheaton, you are a UC Berkeley dropout building dressed. Yep. I found you on Twitter and I almost freaked out because I actually didn't realize that you were the founder. I thought you were just tweeting about the startup and I actually died because I wish this existed in college. So dressed is a peer-to-peer rental marketplace. And the first thing I thought about was back in college, all my sorority sisters and I um, lived in our senior year in an apartment, right? And there was four of us and we exchanged our formal dresses and things like that. And Greek life at Penn State is sororities have different floors of like dorms. And normally the clothing sharing normally like exists like only on that floor. And I kept thinking like, oh my gosh, if we could just tap into like the other floors of the sorority or like other apartments or other girlfriend groups, like we would have such a network of formal dresses and I would never have to buy another formal dress again. And that is what Dressed is doing. Um, I am obsessed with this idea. I love the idea of Rent the Runway but I don't really have, first off, it's very expensive. Second off, like I'm not doing anything very nice. So dressed, I am somebody who would use it. Great idea. Super duper pumped to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate that. That's sort of like what inspired this idea was my time in a sorority as well. So yeah, that's awesome to hear. So is there any part of dressed that I missed there? Is there any other aspect of it that you'd like to share? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, Although we're going to be experimenting with festival wear. Um, coming up pretty soon for the summer so um, that will be really really exciting i know myself and my friends spent so much money on festival outfits so now you'll be able to rent them for cheap so very cool i love that so i actually uploaded this morning my first dress up there for other people (laughs) so i got this dress from zara that was like really popular on tiktok it's silk has a little underwire but it's a silk purple maxi dress because my sister for graduation she wanted everyone to wear purple I don't wear purple a lot, but I really wanted this dress and I really like it. So I'm extremely sentimental and I'm like, I can't, I can't just like sell this dress. And um, like myself, you're also a avid thrifter. I love Poshmark, but I just couldn't Poshmark this dress. So this is a really cool use case um, for me, honestly, right now. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what people right now are using dressed. Yeah, yeah. So we're still super early on. Um, we've seen the most success um, actually with prom season which we just sort of got out of. Um, And so our TikTok kind of accidentally blew up and we we kind of launched our MVP sort of very unprepared um, with just like the most basic version of our product that could physically function and get people to ship things. Um, So yeah, we had a dress um, that went viral with over a million views. um, And then we had like Instagram DMs flooding, um, you know, with people wanting to rent that dress. Um, And then we did our first like... um, pilot launch with our first several rentals and everything went really smoothly. And so now we're um, sort of thinking about which events to target through the summer and through the fall because it's it's very heavily event-based. So we have to be kind of very strategic in um, how we do our marketing um, because people are typically, as, as you mentioned, renting dresses for things like events or festivals, you know, really where their only option is to either buy something super expensive or um, to rent it. So that's kind of what we're thinking about right now. So totally makes sense that this blew up on TikTok. Um, we've seen the rise of things, especially like Depop, um, which was already in its own sense, you know, a really successful platform. Um, the founder of Nasty Gal, I know, started off like her entire journey as somebody who was a like resold thrifted clothing and was really good at curating. So this isn't anything novel necessarily in the space, but the idea of swapping, I'm really surprised nobody has honed in on like i'm surprised this isn't a feature yet on 
Poshmark or on Depop, which are, to the best of my knowledge, like the two biggest thrifting websites for people around our age. Why don't you think this was something that existed within those platforms yet? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. Actually, Depop did, um, they didn't have this as a feature, but they did a um, like collab or partnership with this peer-to-peer clothing rental company in the UK. I want to say it's called Her Collective, but don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really cool partnership. And, and um, I was sort of following a lot of Reddit threads. And essentially what people were saying was, it was really confusing in the Depop interface to sort of determine what was for rental and what was for purchase um, with that partnership. So people really wanted their own designate, designated platform to do peer-to-peer rental. And so that collaboration ended up not being as successful as, as Depop probably hoped or thought. Um, but that peer-to-peer platform was, um, you know, ended up being pretty successful in the UK. So I figured, you know, there's nothing, you know, there's no peer-to-peer clothing rental company at scale. I think this would really take off within sororities. So um, yeah, why don't I just launch that here? So yeah. That's awesome. So I know like the... Uh- I know exactly what you're talking about because I was really interested in re-commerce and like reverse logistics. A really expensive thing that happens with companies is the return process. Like the actual shipping is really expensive. So I've always been really um, fascinated also by there's this one preface in Poshmark in particular where I swapped clothing with a lot of people. Um, So you can bid on certain clothing or ask to swap it. I don't know if this is a feature anymore, but it, it was when I was younger and it was really interesting. Do you guys ever think that you're going to branch out from the rental service into kind of trying to tap into that Depop market or Poshmark market or right now are all your focuses on this rental space? Yeah, totally. So a lot of people have asked us about um, like a potential rent to buy model, which is yeah. something we initially the thought. Runway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We initially thought that'd be something that we would actually launch with. But after sort of seeing the customer behavior and because peer to peer rental hasn't existed at scale yet, we want to keep it just um you know to rental at first just so we can really hammer home that behavior and like get people to realize they can actually make way more money over time off the same items by renting them out um because we've we've had a ton of demand for people to like want to buy things off of our platform and we're just trying to hold out because um like I, i'm also myself a user of dress and i've seen like how beneficial it can be so um but i think like anytime you're doing something that hasn't really been done before in the market, you got to kind of like wait a little bit for the consumer um, behavior to really sort of like catch on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get that. So I guess I want to back up a little bit for pricing. Is this going to be like a fixed price, like with Poshmark or is this dependent on where the person is based? Yeah. So we, um, the rentals are for now standard pricing. So um, there's a set rental price that the the person renting out their item sets, and then you get to keep the item for about two weeks, and then you you have to ship it back. Um, but right now you're paying um, shipping on top of the rental price, um, so that is something to be factored into the cost of of renting an item. But they're all pretty affordable. A lot of the dresses on our platform are renting out anywhere from like fifteen to seventy ish dollars tends to be like the typical range. Um, but a, lo- a lot of those dresses retail for significantly more. So, but yeah, and then we're we're launching um, like a pickup model in the near future. So that will be really cool. Like as you're saying, girls on the same campus can just walk to another sorority house or drive to another campus and pick up an item to save significantly on the shipping costs. That's awesome. So is that when I check out the dress and I see like that $15 or whatever it is with shipping, 
does that include the return process as well? Or is that just getting shipped to me? Yeah. So when you see the the $15 on the site, um, you have to add shipping to that as well. Yeah. And then that will be the total cost um, for uh, both ways of shipping, essentially. And when you when you get the address, you get the return label, um, usually in the package. Otherwise, you'll get it in your email. Awesome. Well. Okay. So yeah. similar to Poshmark in that sense, where they give you the shipping. That's so much easier. My only problem, I really want Poshmark, um, which Rent the Runaway has done this, and I'm not sure if any other place would be great at this, but I loved in, I worked at Goldman Sachs for like a summer, but they had a drop off for Rent the Runaway clothing that people were done with. And I'm like, it would be so cool, for example, like on a college campus for um, there to be a space, maybe it's like a box or something like that. Um, where you can just drop off like all the clothes and then there's people that are hired, I don't know, it's like hourly workers that can go through and like sort it out and say, hey, your clothes have been dropped off. Like you can pick it up at a certain time for like the return process because something that I am like really not a fan of is every time I have to get a shipping label, I have to go to FedEx, which is like the bane of my existence. I feel like I have to give up my firstborn child every time I want to freaking print something in the city. Yeah. Um, so being able to like, I would rather walk to the Whole Foods down the street from me, um, which is a little further away to return something to Amazon, then print out a label and have them pick it up from my house. So it's just the return stuff is mind boggling. I'm so interested by the space. And I'm really interested to, uh, to see how you guys how you guys grow and how many how for, you said your TikTok blew up. Um, who is making your TikToks? And then also, how did you know that TikTok was like the correct platform for you guys to start marketing on? So I think it really, um, at first, I was really inspired by Emily Weiss from Glossier um, and how she sort of launched the Into the Gloss blog before she launched her product. And so for me, when I was um, back in like uh, January 2022, when I was just sort of like, you know, coming up with this idea, we were also, um, we also just decided to launch on TikTok because I figured it was sort of the best platform to really quickly gain traction and really quickly gain interest. Um, and also because, you know, we're dealing with dresses and it's pretty visual. I just thought it was a really great fit for the platform. So, yeah, I mean, it was really just like, how can we sort of like get the word out, like start building our initial wait list before the product even launches. And I just felt, you know, TikTok was, is the platform right now where you can grow the quickest. Um, so yeah, what was, sorry, sorry what was the other question? No, that, I, I, totally think that, I think that was like a great answer, honestly, all, very all encompassing. And I think that brings up a great point that. Um, you see a lot in, especially in like the CPG group of things where people say like, or people don't say people do this, they build a community, and then they sell that product into community. One person that is incredibly good at doing this is Marty Bell from Pool Suite, who now sells sunscreen or something. I have no idea. I was Pool Suite is sick. It's a community, it's really aesthetic. I think they started off as like an online radio channel that played good music, but the website's just really cool. Now there's a bunch of people that really like cool sweets, aesthetic website, aesthetic uh, photos up on all their social media accounts, gives very like summery vibes. And now there's a product that has come off of it. And I believe there was sunglasses before that. And I think it's really interesting, the whole premise of like building a community before having the product. Like you mentioned that you guys launched like really bare bones. Were you ever nervous about trying to build this community without having the product yet yeah yeah i was i was really nervous um especially because we were sort of like we had some like technical difficulties getting the app up like we were so for context i previously had a technical co-founder and we were going through the transition where he was leaving and i was trying to figure out who was even going to build the app meanwhile we had this tiktok community and we were talking about the app on our tiktok and people were commenting like 
are you ever going to launch the app? Like what's happening? When's the website going to be out? You know, like people were kind of like aggressively pushing, like, when is this going to come? But I mean, I think for us, that was just like a positive sign of validation. And I was like, okay, well, you know, at least the good side is people are interested and people care when the app's going to come out. And we were sort of funneling people to a wait list. And then we used that wait list to run like an initial closed beta test on test flight before we even um, did our like uh, first pilot launch. So I think having that community was really able to validate a lot of the questions early on, because I think I've tried to launch just like sort of bare bones before where like the product is out and then you try to build the community after that. And it's just, I think you lose a hundred percent of the hype when you do that. It's like, what's the incentive for people to follow you? You know, they're not like looking forward to something, you know? So do you yourself have a presence at all on social media? So actually my personal TikTok actually just got its first video um, with over a million views. Um, just the other day, I started it a few months ago doing like fashion commentary and talking about my outfits. And I think I have like 5.7 K, which is is not that much, but, um, it's been going pretty quickly and, um, it's been a lot of fun to sort of be building my own personal audience at this time as well. So you were mentioned Emily Weiss, who I think has kept a really good profile low. Um, she doesn't do, she didn't, um, do a lot of media or a lot of press yet. Glossier was like very, very good. Um, at obviously selling makeup they're they're phenomenal even um maybe they're not doing super hot right now but i'm a big fan of their cloud paint i really like emily weiss on every podcast interview that i have listened to her of and they're not that many i think she sounds like a really cool founder what benefits do you see um as being a founder with a social media presence or a presence in the public eye versus a founder that's more like emily and not as public yeah i think it's a really really difficult decision, especially because I've always kept a very low profile on social media. Um, Like if you look on my Instagram, it's just like I post like very sparsely, (laughs) like I've only really started posting somewhat recently. And I had a TikTok for like a couple of years, but I didn't post a single video until somewhat recently as well. Um, I, I don't know, though, I think I was just like, thinking about like why I had never posted. And I think for me, the answer was, I was just really, really scared about what people would think when they saw me posting. And I always just had such a big fear. I mean, especially on Twitter too. Like every time I post, it's so scary for me just because it's so unfamiliar. Yeah. Um, So I think also like it was about like a personal journey for me of like feeling like it's okay to feel seen and like something bad is not going to happen if I post a TikTok. And then I think that coupled with... um, seeing other founders having really huge success on their personal page um, and their business page as well. So I think um, the founder of August, it's like a period company. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen them. Totally. Yeah, her personal page is, is super inspiring. And you just see people like, you know, wanting to support their company because they love her mm-hmm. as a person. And she's so open and she's so vulnerable. And so I think my goal would eventually, you know, get to that place where I'm like more vulnerable with my audience about like what I'm struggling with. And I think also as a female founder, like we have to show what it's like for us and like talk about what it's like for us because there's just not that much representation. And I want people to know, like you can launch a business, like you can launch an app, like, you know, here's how you do it or here's how I did it. And I think that's the kind of content I would have wanted to see as well. Very cool. I like that. I think it's difficult for people to share their journey as a founder, no matter who you are. 
but I think it's an important space for people to be public about because one of my favorite books that I've read recently was Burn Rate. Um, and the founder came on our podcast. He, the author is Andy Dunn, the founder of, I think it's pronounced, pronounced Bonobos, but it might be Bonobos. I think it's Bonobos though. And he spoke about his battle with, um, having bipolar as a founder and how it impacted his journey. And this was something like completely unaware. And I'm like, this is so great that he created this space, right? For people, especially people that have mental illnesses to understand like this is something I can all, I can become a founder. Like this isn't going to hold me back. And I really hope that there's another founder out there that is going through this process now that is documenting it. Cause I think it's so impactful to also have these experiences written out in real time. And we are incredibly privileged to be in this space where um, not only are you working on a product where you are the user, just like the August founder, like she, she uses feminine hygiene project projects and a lot of her content revolves around that. And that's cool, but you'd use dressed as well. Like that, that's such a privilege. Like we have TikTok, we have all these different forms of um, ways to express yourselves. It's like, take, take as much advantage of that as you, as you possibly can. Cause this isn't a, this isn't a company where you can use the product or is it a company where like it's B2B SaaS, where it maybe wouldn't perform very well. Um, do you see founders ever that focus too much on the brand building side of things than they are the product building side of things? And if you've ever met somebody like that, how would you recommend like flipping that switch? I would say it's honestly the opposite where I don't think founders focus on it enough. Nice. And I, I think for me, like at first I was really struggling with the idea of posting TikToks because I was like, am I seriously going to spend an hour or two hours of my day? Like, you know, sometimes posting this content, like it, yeah. it feels like, you know, maybe it's not the pr most productive use of my time sometimes. And I feel really guilty for that. But the more I sort of started meeting people who are like genuinely building their company on social media, the more I realized like that's such an antiquated view. And as founders, we have to get on it. We have to go out there and build that brand. Like, especially for me, like I have to go out there and, you know, hustle to get the customers. They're not going to come to me, you know, with the market we're, um, we're, you know, trying to build for, which is Gen Z. Like, it's not like they're really going to respond to um, paid ads. Right. So, yeah. um, like TikTok is the best rate, way to reach that community. And, um, if I can, you know, build a personal, um, you know, brand for myself on TikTok as well, that's just even more beneficial because people are getting to know the story behind the company. People are seeing my fashion sense. People are learning more about like how to use the product. So yeah, I think that mindset shift has been really helpful for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Getting like a little bit of an inside scoop too. So I'd like to go back to like your your inception of all this. You kind of mentioned that you had a technical co-founder. And when I looked into that, I noticed that when you did drop out of um, UC Berkeley, you started a different company called Thrift, which was also a phenomenal idea. And your co-founder was Sam Yang, who seems very, very awesome. And basically, users were able to turn their Instagram pages into custom shoppable websites. Such a good idea. What constituted this pivot? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was really, we kind of got to the point where we were uninspired to work on the idea because we, at first we were going, growing really quickly and everything was looking great. And then our growth sort of started plateauing. We essentially, because our business model was like a SaaS model, we had different like tiers of subscriptions. And one of the key insights I realized is like, 
when you're building for like the secondhand reseller space, you kind of need a business model that can, you know, capture the power users, but also the more casual users as well. Um, and so we weren't really able to effectively monetize a lot of the users that we had. And so that was sort of a core insight for me where I was like, I, it's just getting to this point where like, I know we could run this as a lifestyle business, but is this going to become a multi-billion dollar company? You know, I, I really didn't have high conviction on that. And then when I came up with the idea for dressed, um, it really was just sort of like combining the model of like two very successful companies like Poshmark and Rent the Runway. It's basically a collab between the two. And I just had such high conviction. I was like, if we can pull this off, this can really exist at scale. And I was just so much more excited about that vision. Um, and just, the, you know, the hope and the dream of building something that's really big that has a ton of people using it. You used a good term in that too, um, super users, which is, so for example, on Depop, a lot of Depop super users are these girls that just have, or and guys, but most of the people that are super users on Depop are, are these girls who are insane at just curating the best clothing that's thrifted. And their accounts basically dictate like a huge part of the of the uh, platform, and a lot of their profiles are the ones featured. And I'm not sure how many people use Zpop, but there are definitely like these massive super users that run the the platform. Like like I said before, I'm not sure if that nasty gal founder started on Depop, but Chu would be a great example of somebody that probably would have absolutely destroyed the space if she did. What does a super user look like on your platform? Yeah, so I, I think it's. Um the same type of person who would be really successful as a super user on Depop or Poshmark. So, um, you know, typically younger, like, you know, anywhere from 16 to 25. Um, they're typically female. They're typically doing this as either their part-time job in addition to high school or college or their full-time job. Um, on Depop and Poshmark, though, as, as you said, it's more about kind of like hyper curating these like really interesting thrifted pieces. Mm. Um, but for us, it's going to be more about curating these like specialty pieces, um, at higher price points that people will want to rent out. Um, so things like, um, you know, festival outfits, you know, semi-formal and formal dresses. Um, so that's really where we're sort of trying to change the user behavior is like the, the real vision behind this is eventually people are going to be buying dresses, um, you know, to, for the sole purpose of renting them out. Um, on our platform, which is really exciting. Um, and I've sort of seen that myself, um, where I like bought a dress and like instantly made more money off of it than yeah. I even bought it for. So yeah. um, the process is working. So I think that's a super exciting prospect. I mean, it's, I was talking to um, the founder of Get Around, and it's just crazy how people will literally buy fleets of cars to rent out on Get Around in Turo. Yeah. And as soon as I heard that, that just absolutely blew my mind. I was like, if people are buying full cars to rent out, like they can definitely buy a dress and make a profit off that too. It's such a such a simple thing if you think about it. Like Airbnb is done phenomenally. Why not, you know, kill it at the peer-to-peer -peer space when it comes to clothing? Like we've already done houses and that's done incredibly well. We see cars um incredibly well. I had a stint in like the reselling world pretty heavily in college, which I I was just I love shopping. And you make some pretty good money reselling, especially if you're reselling to people. Um, how I would cut the cost is I would resell to a lot of people in state college. So I wouldn't have to ship out the products to, um, to another place. And shipping is really expensive. Like I keep saying, um, it's gotten a lot better, but shipping is still really expensive. So I used to do a lot of reselling in there. 
And it would be even better if I could continue that on and get those products back to resell like that. It's just this model is something I really like. But what happens if like you see this worst case scenario where somebody like accidentally ruins one of the prom dresses? What would happen in that case? Yeah, so we're, um, this is actually an idea we got from one of our users in our initial beta test. But um, basically, we're building a feature where when you upload your item for rental, um, you'll set like a fee that's called like the lost fee. Um, and that's the fee that we will automatically charge um, the user, user's um, credit card if mm. anything happens to the item, like it's improperly returned, it's damaged, it's lost, etc. And um, the reason why we're sort of having the person, you know, who's uploading their dress set the fee is because we realize that, you know, dresses are very non-fungible, you know, like people have different levels of sentimental attachment to their dresses. and. Oh, yeah. It's a different level of risk for each person. So we want someone to be able to say like, I, this dress to me is worth this amount, not just like the retail value because we're dealing with people's closets. So uh, by the time we do our official launch, that future will be out, which is super exciting. And when will your official launch happen? Um, aiming for end of June at this point, but it really wow, depends okay. on on when the last couple of features um, will be done. So we're launching... Um, that feature I just mentioned, and then a DM feature to where people can ask the sellers more information because people were sort of damning us to ask um, information about the dresses, but because we don't have them, like we don't have any information on the dresses or their measurements. So people yeah. need to be, communicate directly to them. Yeah, that I love like how you can have like that little description part in uh, Poshmark and also the comments. Like I love reading through some of the comments get like crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. They're like that. That's part of my favorite, but it'll be like people will ask questions and the the drama that happens in the, in the Poshmark comments is pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Well, this seems like a freaking, I'm so excited for you guys to launch. Like I said, I already, I guess I'm using your guys' beta or something at this point because I uploaded a dress. Really excited. If anybody's looking for that Zara silk dress, I got it. I was able to get my hands on it. I'm dressing (laughs) it out. Um, it's going to be cool. I, I can see dressed becoming like a verb, like how I say like posh marting something like dress. I'm going to start dressing something, um, dressing something. I think that sounds <laughs> right. But I, like I said, I think this is going to kill it. This is really cool. I'm excited to see a peer to peer version of rent the runway. That's like within a price point that younger people can see. I'd be a user of this even now. An- another thing that I'd like to see on this actually now, to, now that I think about it, that's kind of new is because I work from home. I don't really own like any business clothes anymore. Like I, I uh, recently we went to a summit that my team worked and I literally wore the same dress pants for like three days in a row because I just don't own any dress clothing, nor did I really want to buy it. And I could, I would totally buy like interview, like things if it was interview season, but you're interviewing for a job in person, but the job itself might be remote. Like I would 100% use this. So Really excited to see what you guys use. I'm going to keep thinking of use cases and just hunt them down. Um, and excited to see if anybody, anybody rents out my dress. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. And where can people find you? Um, so they can find us on TikTok at shop dressed. Um, that's S H O P D R E S S D on Instagram at shop dot dressed. Um, or they can find me on TikTok at capri dot L Y N N. Um, yeah, or on Twitter at Capri underscore Lynn with, I think, three N's. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. This was super cool and excited to, uh, excited to see what happens. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.